Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season, know this. The Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan. It's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off. There's shade, there's food, there's access to adult beverages if so inclined, and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option 1, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Happy hump day. Happy 4th of July. We'll get that out of the way early. I realize it's only the 1st of July, but you get the point. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, doing well. Actually looking forward to the 4th. We'll celebrate something, even if we don't have a lot of good stuff going on. You know, the way this year has gone, Keith, which we don't have to rehash everything, but it feels like it's been one calamity after another. And that's probably not the best choice of words, but it's just been a long year. It's the first day of the fiscal year, so does that count for Happy New Year? Can we just turn, <laughs> can we turn the page and start anew? That's what I feel like doing. Well, I would tell you that uh, Kathy and I would probably like to take our personal finances and start them over July 1 and forget about everything that's happened in the first six months. That is for sure. That said, speaking of uh, starting anew, turning a new page, the ACC has a little advertisement. Well, I don't know if they have the advertisement up yet, but Keith, this is your chance to polish up that resume, <laughs> enhance it where you like, work on your work on your LinkedIn page. You're probably not on LinkedIn since you're not anywhere else on social. And uh, so go to the copy shop and fix your resume and then send it to Greensboro to try and uh, secure John Swafford's position as he's stepping down soon. Well, I think uh, there's there have been times when I have thought about that, but I think I have a huge disadvantage, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, that might be the reason why something changed. But historically and anecdotally, uh, I wouldn't have a chance because I don't come from Tobacco Road in terms of being the commissioner of the ACC. But however, comma, maybe, maybe just maybe that has changed going forward. So how are you going to view Swafford's tenure as commissioner, which began in 97. Two and will end next year. Will end next Two year. Two things jump time. out at me. Two things jump out at me. And, and, and one's obvious and one our, our listeners may not think is even important, but I did. Obviously, the biggest thing is, is the, the growth of the ACC from, from eight or nine schools. I don't know if he was on board when FSU came in to the 15 uh, is something that I think and in my view, he managed quite well. And putting together that diverse group of individual institutions, all the way from Coral Gables to, to Boston, um, I think he did a wonderful job doing. The second thing I will remember 
for him for is nothing leaked out of the ACC unless and until David Teal was told to leak it. He had such a finger on anything that was discussed in the, in the four walls of that building in Greensboro that nothing came out early. It came out when he, Swafford, wanted it out. I, we joke about David because uh, it, it appears that he is a trusted source for the commissioner, but there were no controversies created because information leaked out early. It was airtight for sure. That's why people jokingly media would call him the ninja. So to answer your question, no, he was not there when FSU came in. That was Gene Corrigan, who was commissioner of the ACC when FSU came in. Swafford took over in 97. I think it mixed, I, I think it was more good than bad, but I do th- in terms of his tenure, especially because at the end of the day, he saved the ACC. We forget this now, and we look and we nitpick and say, well, what did Syracuse really add? What did Pitt add? Well, it kept the conference alive because at that time, the choice was which of the, which of the Power Five is going to stay because there were six. Is it going to be the Big East or the ACC? So he went and was preemptive and, and went and got Syracuse in the dark of night and got Pitt and got Notre Dame halfway in, and it preserved the ACC at that point. And had he not done that, who knows? The league would have gone by the wayside. But I do think where, where he's judged, when I talk to FSU fans, the, the TV revenue, the conference payout is so out of whack. And I don't know how much of that you can stick to Swafford. Yes, the ACC network took several years to get off the ground. Yes, it's still not fully distributed. Yes, the SEC is lapping the ACC, as is the Big Ten lapping the other conferences. But at the end of the day – and I know plenty of FSU fans this way, Keith. I don't know if you're one of them. The ACC Network launched last year, and I can't tell you how many co- conversations I've had with people who still have Comcast Xfinity because they won't cut the cord to go get the ACC Network. And on the SEC side, if that was the arrangement, the Comcast Xfinity headquarters would have been burned down and they would have had a deal. I'm, what I'm saying is there's so much more passion and enthusiasm for it. And if you're going to commit to keep Duke and Wake Forest – and Virginia, who's done a great job athletically, but is known more for its academics and doesn't have the, the ravaged uh, fan base. I don't know that there's ever enough demand, no matter who's there, to get the dollars you want. I, I hope that I'm wrong because it's got to be solved, but I don't know how to solve it. it, it it's not going to be solved for one very, very significant reason. The SEC, and though you could argue, but the Big Ten are football-dominated conferences. ACC is basketball dominated and you can complain and fuss all you want to, but football dominates and basketball is number two. So I agree with you in that the ACC is behind, but I think I also agree with your last comment that you kind of said in passing, it would not have mattered who was there. It was going to still be this way. That's really what I'm saying. Mike Slive gets a ton of credit because the SEC won all these championships on his watch. And I don't know Mike, and I'm sure he was a great commissioner. But if me or you or my wife or Kathy or somebody else was commissioner of the SEC and you've got a product that everybody wants, how hard of a sales pitch is that to ESPN to get a network off the ground? Same thing would have happened, Yeah, in my my opinion. That's my point. And if Mike Slive was running the ACC, no matter – now, I will say this. Swafford, and I don't know what he's like in closed doors, he's nice as could be outwardly to us. Doesn't have to be. 
you could certainly get the perception would be that maybe he's too nice and 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 so he's not winning the negotiations behind closed doors but I don't know that that's fair or true for the reason we're saying he doesn't have a product that the TV networks covet so let's spin it forward because I think I think at the end of the day for FSU fans they take out their frustration on Swaffer but there's a large there's a majority of them who really their frustration is that FSU is in the ACC to begin with and not in the SEC. You know, they questioned that decision in 91, 92 timeframe about whether that was the right decision. Right. And that conversation still continues. And that's a separate one. We're not going to do that now. Personally, when the, when the realignment was happening, you know, this, I was not in favor of, well, I'll ask it to you this way. How much more money than what FSU is getting now, would it be worth to be in the big 12 and to be playing Iowa State and Kansas. I, and I don't remember the numbers this year, but last year the SEC payout was 44, and the ACC was like 29, and the Big 12 was maybe 32 or 33. But if the Big 12 had Clemson and FSU, how far north would that number have to go for you as an FSU fan to justify rivalries with Kansas State, Iowa State, Kansas, and yes, I know Oklahoma and Texas? Well, Tommy, not to get too far into the weeds, but had FSU made that change and had they been receiving 20 or 30 or $40 million a year more, our record over the last 10 years would have been worse because we would have been playing some higher quality teams than we were actually playing in the ACC. So we might have had a brand new operations center, but we might be working on the fifth or sixth head coach because every other one, every other year, a coach was getting fired for going three and eight, three and nine. I don't know if it would have been that bleak, but that's similar to the argument about the SEC. Everybody talks about wanting to be in the SEC, and they immediately jump to, well, Florida State would be Alabama in the SEC. Well, no, maybe Florida State would be Auburn in the SEC. I mean, Florida, exactly. University of Florida has not been Alabama in the SEC. So – are you okay with this? Is this is the you know we we should I shouldn't open when, up conference realignment. When is the last time Florida University of Florida won a national championship? Well, the same time frame they won hoops and basketball in the in the aughts or whatever oh six and oh eight for football. How long a drought is that? Longer than FSU's. Ex- FSU would have been in the exactly. Yeah. FSU's would have been longer. So so I don't want to belabor this point because we we spent too much time years ago debating the merits of which conference and all that. I do want to spend some time, and Bob Ferrante is going to join us here momentarily, talking about as you look to the next commissioner, who is is the best candidate or what are you looking for, maybe not an individual name, and and what are the, the top priorities as you come in as commissioner. So I'll tell you what, we'll take a break. I'll get Bob on the line, our Osceola insider, and we'll bounce to that question rather than go back to pointing out the, the flaws uh, of, of the Big 12 back when that was in conversation. Sound like a plan, Keith? It does, it does. All right, we'll step aside, come back. Our Osceola insider is getting warmed up right now. He's in the voice booth. He's, uh, he's warming up the vocal cords, and uh, we'll get to Bob here momentarily. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. All 
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to crank up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferranta. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing, doing very well. I know you didn't hear our first segment. So to, um, to recap, the commissioner retired. Keith and I debated pluses and minuses of John Swafford's tenure. Came to the conclusion that really FSU fans' ire, though they directed it at Swafford, it's more directed at the fact that FSU is in the ACC to begin with and not the SEC, which led us to talking about conference realignment. So we're going to end that now. We're going to talk about who should the next commissioner be and I don't necessarily mean a name if you don't have one, but from what industry, what should the ACC be looking for? And by the ACC, it's the university presidents who will ultimately make that decision. And then what are the priorities as we move forward? So I'll stop and let you weigh in. You know, it's a really complex topic, but it's a good off-season topic. I think, uh, you know, with Swafford having a year left where he's going to kind of maybe be a, a mentor and help out the next commissioner. You know, a couple of names that have been thrown out, I think, by some of the national publications were Michael Kelly, who had been part of the ACC in the college football playoff. He's now South Florida's athletic director. You know, Oliver Luck, uh, Andrew Luck's dad, is an interesting candidate. Oliver's been an athletic director. He's been with the NCAA, the XFL. So those are, those are two guys that I think you, you probably want to keep your eyes on moving forward. What are the big storylines moving forward? I think the biggest ones are revenue generation anywhere, anyhow. It could be anything from, you know, dipping into that ESPN contract. How can you maybe squeeze out a few more dollars? Can you talk with Comcast into coming on board earlier? Get some, get some leverage with Comcast. You know, really it's about, I think, media rights and, and negotiating some deals to, uh, to help that revenue stream, because right now the ACC, I would say, is in good shape. But compared to the SEC and the Big Ten, you know, financially, not going to see those kind of dollars, you know, anytime soon, if if ever. I made the comment in the first segment, uh, kind of intimating to this comment: when the ACC changed its governance and they made the board of directors, uh, which is now comprised of presidents and chancellors. That probably, in some people's minds, was to allow the ACC to not have the tobacco road dominance of thought that whoever they hired to replace Swafford had to come from within. And I think you talking about uh, Kelly, although he is an insider, he had been with the uh, BC, I mean, excuse me, the um, uh, playoff folks, uh, as well as Luck, probably has achieved that in that they can go to a full nationwide search and not have to be um, coddling the tobacco road schools in terms of their camp potential candidates. I want to a blueprint seems to be, you know, you go for an athletic director, right? I think that blueprint has kind of gone out the window. That's my only thought really. So that's exactly where I was going, Bob. And yeah, Michael Kelly, I know uh, a lot of us here know he was good with the ACC and, and Keith, not only did he start the CFP, but he organized Super Bowls in Tampa, Miami, and Jacksonville. So even though he's a Wake Forest grad, he has a lot of really good experience in terms of at the conference, as an AD right now at USF, but with the national landscape as well. But my point is he's not coming up strictly through the ACC. He's got a worldly perspective that, that's, that might not have happened without this change. Right. And that's the same point I'm making. And, and Bob, you mentioned Comcast. Whoever comes in, they will get – uh, assuming that no deal is struck with Comcast between now and next year, the Comcast deal uh, in terms of with Disney 
it's up in September 21. So that deal will get done before the 21 football season, which corresponds to a new commissioner coming in next summer. Now, hopefully it gets done before that, but right now there's, there's no live sports, so there's no demand. It's not getting done now. Here's what I was going to say. To me, the outside-the-box way to go, when you think about uh, – so you could get somebody that's tied in with ESPN and TV revenue and that sort of thing. But you have that in the Syracuse AD, who I think his name is John Wildhack, who'd been at ESPN for years. And the ACC has used Dean Jordan with the Wasserman group. So you already have people who understand the TV game. I think it needs to be somebody from a marketing agency or somebody that can tap into what the new landscape looks like with name image likeness so that the ACC is on top or out in front of, uh, not just helping its student athletes, but also just the whole space of incremental revenue or additional revenue. Maybe it's somebody from social media. You know, I, I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, the CEO of Facebook, but somebody that's, that's high up at Amazon or somewhere where you're in this space and you've got a way to find other revenue streams besides TV. No, those are good points. I hadn't really thought about it. You know, John Wildhack was a name that came up because he had been at ESPN, now at Syracuse. Um, I think Michael Kelly is attractive. I believe he's about 50 or so. So from an age standpoint, you're hiring somebody who could be around for a decade or, or more, and I think that makes it attractive. Um, you know, to your point, I think we were talking about, uh, you know, brand management, uh, you know, a week ago about how that's going to be important in the future with, you know, illustrating the student-athletes that, you know, this program or this conference can put you down the right path toward potential earnings, you know, however that might be. But yeah, I think it's going to take somebody that understands the future of the finances of college athletics. And, you know, who is that going to be? Again, like everything else, I, I would say to the presidents who are probably going to be the ultimate decision makers, be open to just about any candidate and somebody who's super creative and, and maybe kind of blows your mind in one of those Zoom conference calls with, with some ideas that you haven't maybe thought about. I will say Larry Scott, who's the commissioner of the Pac-12, and their conference network has been maligned from the start. His track record when he got hired wasn't outside of the box. Remember he talked about they were going to play Pac-12 basketball games in Asia. I mean, had all these ideas on the table. So I realized that part of what I'm saying – it may sound a little wacky. I just don't know where – what Keith and I talked about in the first segment, Bob, it doesn't matter who's running the ACC. If Mike Slive had been the commissioner of the ACC for the last 20 years, do you think the TV dollars would be any better? Or do you think the answer is, well, no, there's not demand because these are basketball fans. And Swafford, if he'd have run the SEC, they'd probably be sitting pretty and would have launched that network before. I mean, it's just a matter of when you look at the passion of the fan bases. It's a fair argument. I think, you know, Swafford built this basketball super conference. You know, Leonard Hamilton keeps calling it the new ACC. And rightly, when you win a ACC title, you can kind of, you know, stick out your chest and say, look at what we, what we did. My only argument with Swafford and not being in the room for things like negotiations and grant of rights, I have no idea how this went down. But when those grant of rights took place in 2013, and then Florida State won a national football title in January 2014. That was kind of the time to me to really strike if you're John Swafford, you know, with Clemson on the rise, with Florida State being a national champion, to really say football has maybe never been better in recent memory for the ACC with those two teams on a high, and to push ESPN for that ACC network a little bit faster. 
it just it just felt to me part of Swafford's legacy is what you remember last. It's that kind of constant. Well, I really don't have an update on the ACC network for you at this time. It's those kind of constant um, self-deprecating jokes that he would make at ACC kickoff each summer. And I think we remember that the kind of stalling until a, a deal was in place. So that that's my only real criticism overall is it felt like it took way too long, maybe five years too long to, to bring a network on board. Well, we'll have plenty of time to debate this. Uh, you know, the counter to that would be that it, 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 in 2014, we didn't know Clemson was going to become what Clemson is now. Clemson was still Clemsoning back in 2014, which is probably how ESPN would have positioned it at that point, you know. Um, and where was Miami and all this? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. MIA. They're, they're MIA is where Miami is, Keith. They're missing. Oh, you're just, you're just inviting more emails. You're just inviting more emails, Tommy. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, as usual, we'll forward them to you. All right, Bob, let's talk on the field. So a couple of things that I saw that the Osceola's got this week, and uh, not just the Osceola for all this, but the jersey numbers, some of that's changed. Florida State released it. Seems odd to see that there's guys that have claimed the number zero because I'm just not used to seeing zero on a football field. But we've got a couple of them out there now. Yeah, I had no idea this was a thing until uh, this year. I, I, of course, remember Phil Kofer was wearing zero in college basketball, and some players have claimed that. But apparently that's a new thing in the NCAA where they're going to allow the number zero to be worn. And um, I also heard that they're only going to allow you to do two guys can have the same number. In the past, Florida State had sometimes three guys wearing the same number. And, of course, they can't be on the same field at the same time. But, yeah, um, I think it's Fabian Lovett and uh, Jay Sean Corbin will wear zero for Florida State. So kind of a, a new wrinkle. We'll have to ask them what their reasoning is, you know, why they why they chose to do that. It will be different to see zeros out there. Also this week with Major League Baseball, finally, I don't even know if you can say they're on the same page, but they're going to play a season because they were told they got to play 60 games. But they've got a 60-man roster, and there's several Knowles on there. And a couple of them are not that far removed and are in the, the, the invite to the camp, so to speak, Taylor Walls and Cal Raleigh. But the name that stands out to me is John Nagowski because I don't think he's a guy that anybody would have thought when you watched his career, and he's – we all know his dad from his, his days in sports media, and we remember watching his career at FSU. I, don't, I think I was doing radio then. I don't think any of us thought that John Nagowski was a guy who was going to be getting an invite to Major League Camp, and here he is uh, chasing that dream still, and good for him. You know, I, I was working at the Democrat with John in the late 90s, and uh, John Jr., I'll, I guess I'll always call him John Jr., he was about five or six years old, come in with his dad, and he would kind of sit and hang out um, while his dad was writing and, you know, say hello to us, give us high fives. And, and we knew, you know, John was really proud of his son and, and thought he was, you know, had, had talent, was going to, you know, he was kind of grooming him as a baseball player. It was clearly a sport they loved together. Um, I, I, I think I had heard a couple of times that, that John Jr. was kind of frustrated with, with his career in the minors, that it just wasn't taking off for him. So when I saw his name with the Cardinals on that 60-man roster, and obviously he's had some great years with Memphis of late too. I, I felt really happy for him. I mean, for a guy to stick out in the minors, I think it's been about six years he's been removed from Florida State. For him to have a chance to uh, to be on the 60-man roster and you know get a chance to play in the show this year is really going to be very cool for him. How much longer are we going to get to see Buster Posey is my my Major League Baseball question. Well, what, you know, He's obviously on the twilight of his career, but – but how much longer do we get the opportunity to see him? 
I believe he's going to be 33 this year. And I was thinking about this the other day. The National League now has the DH for this shortened 60-game season. And whether you like it or not, this is potentially going to prolong some careers for guys who are, you know, catchers. They're at that high impact or, or you know, difficult in the knees kind of position like that. I think for Buster, when there's maybe not going to be so many off days in this, you know, quick schedule, this could help him where he could, you know, catch. And then if there's a day game, short turnaround, he can play first or he can be a DH. So for Buster, this might be a good thing. I'm kind of in favor of a National League DH. I think it might be a fun new wrinkle. And I'd like to see it happen in 2021 when we get back to a full schedule. So it really could be a very good thing for him. The question with Buster is going to be the longevity in terms of is he a Hall of Famer? Because he certainly had a Hall of Fame six-year window there. And if he goes on to play first base or DH for another five or six years, he's not going to put up MVP seasons. But if he puts up incremental numbers, games played, homers, runs batted in, hits all that, it will help the case at the end of the day. But but to me, I I, I mean, he he was as good as you could be for that that short window when the Giants won three World Series. Yeah, and, and beloved by San Francisco. I mean, we happened to be out of in San Francisco last summer and went to a Giants game and, and got to see him play. And when his name is announced, you know that that park is electric. They they love him, and even though he's been seemingly in a slump for for a couple of years you can tell there's a connection with the fans uh you know he and his wife have raised funds for pediatric cancer i i don't know if he's a hall of famer um just like you know you could argue guys like dale murphy and fred mcgriff are you know guys who were really really close on a lot of ballots for years and years but i, I think you know how many titles does san francisco win without a guy like buster posey without a catcher to handle that staff without that leadership. So, you know, his value, I'd love to see him in the Hall of Fame, but I think his value is known within the San Francisco Bay Area just because of everything he's given on and off the field. Well, they didn't get you in the Hall of Fame, but he is certainly a member of the Good Guy Award. There is no question. Well, what you're, what you're saying, and this is not what we do on this show, Bob, but as we wrap up, really what you're, you're hinting at there, baseball is all about tradition and the numbers to its own detriment now in this era where they fought the DH and the NL for so long and they don't want to come off of 162 games because what will it do to the numbers? Even though people who are into baseball now are looking at different metrics than what used to be on a baseball card when you and I were collecting them. So it's all sort of the same thing at some point to me for that game to survive because they're, they're going to age themselves out when you look at what the average age fan is compared to other sports. They've got to make changes like the DH or, you know, the just send a guy to first instead of throwing four intentional. And I know, I know traditionalist purists will balk at all that stuff, but balk, baseball term. But, I mean, I think that's what baseball's got to do. Yeah, I like it. I, I'm not sure I'm wild about the concept of a 60-game season because it just feels like a quick sprint when we know baseball is sort of that summer long, you know, you play 162 and then you, you go to the playoffs for a month or so. I'm curious about the DH. I, I think for the majority of, let's say, non-baseball fans, you should appreciate it. It should bring more excitement and more scoring. There are definitely some National League pitchers out there, you know, Madison Bumgarner being one of them who he wants to hit. And, and maybe you can see a team use a pitcher as a DH here and there just for fun. But 
I, I think it brings some real excitement back to the sport. We should see more runs per game, maybe some more extra base hits, home runs, and things like that. Um, I think for an excitement factor, it, it should bring something. And, of course, we won't see it in the stands. Fans won't really be in the stadium initially, I don't think, in July. Who knows how August and September and the playoffs work out. But it should just be a fun piece, a new element to a baseball season in the majors. Here's something else you'll see, fellas, that nobody wants to talk about. National League pitchers will be throwing inside a lot more than they used to in the past because they won't have to go to the plate. Well, uh, but that's part of it, Keith, and we need to get uh, running because our next guest is, is about to join us uh, from the FSU basketball team. But uh, we can continue this at another time. At, at, at least I just want to see sports on the field. Bob, appreciate your insight as always. Thanks for joining us. Take care, guys. Thanks, Bob. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. I encourage you to go to theosceola.com, subscribe, check it out, get insight like that. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, turn our attention to basketball, something we haven't talked about in a while, although – Basketball is what was top of mind when this whole pandemic got started. That conversation is up next. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We are going to turn our attention to basketball now, as I mentioned. And the calendar says July 1, but we all recall that Back when this pandemic got started, uh, unfortunately, the basketball team was was about to compete for an ACC tournament championship. We were excited about March Madness, and then sports as we know it went away. And uh, one guy that was in the middle of that is uh, Raekwon Gray, who joins us now from the FSU basketball uh, team. Turk, uh, as he's known. How are you, sir? I'm good. How you doing? Doing, doing well. Uh, since I started with that, I'll just ask you, you know, a few months later, I know the uh, – you know, the immediate or emotional pain is not there, but I'm sure there's probably still some frustration that you didn't get to play the season out. Is that is that accurate? Um, yeah. I mean, each day go by, you know, we kind of like wish that we could have competed for, you know, our Anglo was the national championship and also the ACC championship. So we kind of just kind of think about it, reminisce on it a little bit, but when we spend too much time on it, don't dwell on it too much because we have, a you know, a new season upcoming and, you know, new opportunities. So we kind of just try to take the lessons from last season going up to this season. Raekwon, I was on the plane when, you, when we flew back from Greensboro. It was quite quiet, if that's the proper way of saying it. But, but what were you guys talking about? What were you thinking at that early stage when that game versus Clemson got canceled? Um, I mean, as far as you know, our season, we thought that, you know, that the March Madness will happen. And we'll still have a, a chance to get people a national championship, which is like what we wanted to do from the start of the season. So we didn't really think too much of it. You know, we thought it just be like a little a week thing or a two-week thing. And we'll be back to our normal schedule. But we found out, you know, I think when we got back to school that they were canceling like March Madness too. So that kind of just like just changed our whole attitude and made you know just turn uh, turn our season around a little bit. We kind of just really realized that that it was over with. You know, we kind of went out on a high note, but we wanted to you know, also compete for the, the biggest goal, which is the national championship. 
You said, hi, no, you're correct. I should have introduced you as ACC champion, Raekwon Gray, since you guys won the regular season championship this past year. Congratulations. <laughs> what have you Thank done you. with yourself the last three-plus months since early to mid-March when, when basketball, at least in terms of in a team-structured environment, went away? As um, far as me, I would just I would say just a lot of cardio. Um, getting in the gym or going to some parts to shoot when I can, you know, not too many, you know, gyms or anything like that are open. So just kind of getting in the gym where I can, but mainly just cardio and a lot of body weight stuff, you know, and can't get in the weight room and stuff like that. So just kind of body weight and a lot of cardio, honestly. Did you go home to South Florida or have you been in Tallahassee the whole time? Um, yeah, I was home for like uh, two months, like, yeah, probably two months, two and a half months around that time. Just spending time with my family, you know, enjoying that time. It was kind of, you know, it's kind of a blessing to be around my family. You don't, you don't really be around them that much, especially with the season going on. So it was a cool thing to be around them, kind of just sitting back and talking to them and enjoy their company. Well, Turk, now that you're back in Tallahassee, how much fun is it having uh, Coach Bradley hollering at you again? <laughs> um, I mean, it's been, it's been cool. Like, you know, we, we miss that environment. You know, miss being around my teammates. I miss, you know, my coaches and stuff like that. You know, just to be around the guys, it felt good again, you know, to kind of just bring that, that part, of, part of my life back to me. You know, I kind of miss those guys a lot. And, you know, that's kind of something I was accustomed to for the last few years. So, you know, having been around those guys kind of just made me happy again and excited about, you know, this upcoming season. So from a basketball standpoint now, the calendar has hit July, and I know most of the conversation, at least on this show and in general nationally, has been about college football and when will it start. And at Florida State, obviously they tested the football student-athletes. But – I guess they've moved on to, to basketball at this point. Have they tested the team for COVID-19? Are you guys in position to go back and start working out? Or, or just what, what does July look like, I guess, for, for you and your teammates right now? Um, I mean, we're just playing by ear. You know, that's like kind of the coach's job to, I guess, kind of give us instructions and we follow them. But we're just trying to play by ear, you know, what, what they determine, what they want to do. You know, with Coach Hammond, his decisions, we kind of just follow him. But as far as, you know, knowing anything on the schedule going forward, we don't. We don't really have an idea. You know, we're just moving as the coaches move. They're kind of just playing about here also with the, the rules and regulations with the NCAA. So we kind of just uh, have team meetings and discuss things like that in the near future, but not really a, a certain schedule that we have going on right now. Raekwon, going from a, a very structured environment, which I know you experienced all last summer, to one that has those questions, how, how trying or how difficult is that for you? Uh, like you said, it's been real difficult, but, you know, like you said, we've been in a structured um, environment for the last few summers, and, you know, we kind of had a, a plan or, you know, days of we'll work out and yeah, out in the gym. So it's kind of been – it's been rough. It's, it's weird. You know, it's my first time experiencing anything like this in my life. So we're kind of just figuring it out as a team as we go on. We kind of stay in touch, you know, as a team and try to figure out things that we can do in our home that's not involving, you know, the facilities or, you know, our coaches or anything like that so that we can – It'll keep that, you know, that chemistry and be ready for this upcoming season or whenever we have start workouts again. So we're just trying to, you know, be as a team in, in this certain situation. How uh, how is Coach Ham in a Zoom meeting? Is he uh, the same presence? Um, yeah, I mean, he, his, his mentality doesn't change, you know, whether it's going great, going bad. He trying to keep that same mindset, that, that positive mindset. He brushes that to us all the time and just try to make the best out of this situation. So that's kind of his mindset going into it. You know, he just talks to us and kind of checks on us and how we doing and you know with everything going on. You know, he keeps that positive mindset and that's a big thing coming from you know the leader of your program. So to see him keep a positive mindset, that just motivates us to try to like find something positive about this situation. 
We're talking with Raekwon Gray from the FSU basketball team. Basketball hoping to get back at it here in the, in the next few days, weeks. Obviously, still a lot of excitement about where this program has gone over the last few years. I'm going to admit, Raekwon, because I've been – it was easy for me to tune out from sports because there's been no sports. So I, I had to get on Seminoles.com and take a look and refresh my memory on who was coming back. Obviously, Trent and Devin moved on. But when you look at uh, – so you got MJ, Malik Osborne, yourself, Balsha. Uh, Wyatt Wilkes, Raquan Evans, Nate Jack, and then three newcomers, uh, Quincy Ballard, and I'm not sure if it's pronounced Sadar Calhoun, but but Scotty Barnes, who's yeah. the five-star and the big name there. What excites you about that roster, uh, knowing that you probably haven't spent a ton of time, just just those guys necessarily together, but what excites you about that that team in the upcoming season? Um, I mean, I feel that, honestly, I feel that we have a chance to be better than what we were last year. And the pieces that we're bringing in, like you named those three guys, that they fit right into our culture. And, you know, what we do on offense and defense, you know, versatile can guard multiple positions. You know, they, we, they can handle the ball well enough to play in our system. So, I feel like, you know, we're just adding, adding, adding in what we're missing, what we missed last year with Trent being gone. Like you said, Pat and Devin and everybody, those three guys that feel that void. And, you know, I think we'll have a, a chance to be better than next year, or last year, team, this couple of, upcoming year. So, I feel like I'm very excited, you know, what we have in the future coming. But, you know, I think, I think we'll be ready. How exciting is it for you to now be considered a three-point shooter? I, I was most impressed with the work that you did last summer getting ready for the, the nineteen twenty season, and um, that three ball is not uncommon to you anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, it always had that, you know, growing up as a kid, I feel like that was something I relied on, you know, as a, as a younger kid, not being so tall and not being so skilled than everybody else. Um, I had to, like, really be able to make a, a three or a, a jump shot. So I, I, I was always had it. Just, Never kind of like displayed it. I started to get tall a little bit, you know, started to get some more skills. So I didn't have to use it as much, but I can always, you know, shoot the ball. Is that part of is that part of what makes Leonard's Coach Hamilton's offense fun? When you talk about, uh, there's been a lot of guys over the last few years who, uh, you know, they've got guard skills, but they're a big. Jonathan Isaac comes to mind. I mean, he grew up, but but I mean, Scotty Barnes is going to fall in that category too. He's taller than you, I think, and may handle the ball. You're one of those mm -hmm. guys who. But is he is he inside? Is he down on the block? Is he outside shooting threes? I mean, it seems like it would be a fun style to play when really anybody can handle the basketball that's out there on the floor, unless you're unless you're going big five with Balsha. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely fun. You know, it's a fast pace. We get up and down and share the ball, so it's a lot of fun playing that way. And you know, like you say, there's so many different guys that can do so many different things. And Coach Ham gives you the freedom to make plays and you know make reads and make the right decisions. He he trusts his players, so. And we have a coach like that. It just makes it more fun, and you know, give you that give you that freedom to to make plays and actually show your your uh, skill set and, and things like that in the office. So it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I think it starts with Coach Ham giving us the freedom to do that, do those type of things. All right, let's move off the court now because I did some homework, and it's my understanding that you're the uh, are you the sneaker aficionado on the team? I mean, are you the the guy who's got the <laughs> most most pairs? Um, one of them. I feel that you know. I, I think MJ has a lot. Um, also, last year, probably Trent and Pat had a few, too, but probably me and MJ had the most shoes on the team, I feel, this okay. year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm up there. I say I'm up there. So, so how many pairs is that, roughly? Mm, in total or, like, just, just Jordan's or – just well, in total. well, you can you can expand. So give us total, and then let us know how you have them categorized in your closet or in your room. <laughs> um, I mean, 
as far as total from basketball to, you know, lifestyle, just walking out and walking around, should I probably say 50 pairs? I probably had like 15, 20 basketball shoes and like, like 20, 25, you know, just walk around, you know, lifestyle shoes in my closet. But I, I kind of just organize them by brand or like, you know, if I put running shoes on this side or, you know, Jordan's in the middle and then probably like Nike's on the right side. So I just kind of go from there. But, you know, my locker's full of basketball shoes also. So I, I kind of just keep them everywhere, honestly. Now, fess up, Turk. Of those pairs, how many are pristine still in the box and you don't wear because you're just collecting them? Um, I would say, I would say probably about, probably like five or six. I've probably worn like once or not even worn at all. So, like probably like five. Yeah, I haven't worn at all. Yep. But it's a few of them that I really, I rarely wear. So, kind of just you know being around cameras, I just put on some running shoes and slip along one class. So, you know, we all gonna go. So, I can't really put all my good shoes on at one time. So, they already just sitting there throughout the season, honestly. And which one, so if you had a glass case, you know, if this was the museum and you had a glass case, which one is going in there? Which pair? What's the prize possession? Oh, I would probably say my top three Jordan ones, they're like kind of a mixture of three shoes in one. So it was a career and kind of like expensive. So I kind of hold on to them forever. Makes sense. Well, I'm excited that uh, – we're getting closer to, to the start of the fall, the start of basketball season again. Uh, I'm glad you're healthy. And uh, as, as we wrap up, does it seem strange to you that you're now one of the old guys? I mean, you're a, you're a fourth-year redshirt junior. You're one of the leaders on this team as we go into 2021. Yeah, it's crazy that, you know, coming in with the guys like Terrence and Phil and hearing those guys kind of like lead us, you know, those first couple of years. And now for me to be that guy, depending on, you know, our team, depending on, it's kind of crazy. It, was, it happened fast, you know. Um, the DJ is definitely my fast, but I, I had a lot of fun with him, and, and I'm enjoying it still. You know, enjoying this process and this journey. So it's kind of a it's a blessing, but it's all, it's all it all happened so fast to me. But you know, I'm just taking it in day by day. So I'm excited for you know the future. Enjoy it. Look forward to watching the rest of your career play out. And uh, congrats on the ACC championship season this past year. We're sorry, obviously, just as you are, that you didn't get to to go cut down some some more nets. But uh, best of luck this season to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, okay. Raekwon. That is uh, Turk, Raekwon Gray from the FSU basketball team. Keith, as uh, we we go to break, I, did, I didn't ask Raekwon about this, but one of the things that uh, that pains me to even think about because we're having this football conversation, but the FSU basketball team has been so good at home. 16-0 and last year, I think 62-3 and over four years. I can't even fathom the thought of getting to basketball season and being in a 25% only crowd or no crowd. Man, we got to be past that by basketball season, don't we? You certainly hope so. You certainly hope so because Florida State uh, attendance the last couple of years has been phenomenal. I think there were five or six hard sellouts, which set a season record. Uh, and seeing the, the, the north quote-unquote end zone, the north end of uh, the tuck, filled with students early uh, was very inspiring. And, and these kids will tell you, and I still refer to them as kids because they're 40 plus years younger than I am. They react and they feed, particularly in basketball because you're in that enclosed environment. They feed off that energy and they see it when they go to Durham and when they go to Raleigh and when they go to Chapel Hill. And now that they have it in Tallahassee, it is not just a coincidence 
that as the attendance went up, that winning percentage at home went up. I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg. You can debate that however you want to. But those two go hand in hand, and I'm looking forward to the season coming up as well. I'm looking forward to any season coming up. Let's uh, let's take a break. <laughs> we'll come back and uh, we'll react to the conversation that uh, has, has flowed throughout this week's edition of Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. I felt so good Like anything was possible Hit cruise control And rubbed my eyes The last three days Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ, thanks to Raekwon Gray from the FSU basketball team for joining us and Chuck Walsh for setting that up and also Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. We will react to those conversations here momentarily as we've still got 10 or 12 minutes to go on this week's Front Row Knowles. Do want to say thank you to Cornerstone Tool and Faster. Keith, you'd be very proud of the home improvement project that I did this week, by the way. Speaking Tell me of about it. The Tell me about and, it. Um, I actually – I don't get a lot of credit because it's not like this was a, a sequoia – or a live oak, since to be more appropriate to what grows here. But I did manage to single-handedly get the dead dogwood tree out of my front yard and, and take care of that and dispose of it. So i got to put some sod down still, but I'm making progress. So what we're talking about here is maybe three inches in diameter, four inches in diameter, but you manhandled it and you got it down. The second part is exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right, yeah. And also, it was dead, so it was pretty easy. The limbs were just kind of snapping off. So, anyway, assuming your project is more involved than that, go see Ron and the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener and tell them that we sent you their way. Turk is a fourth-year junior. You look at that team, Keith, and then we'll get back to football and the commissioner conversation uh, because July talking hoop still seems odd. But MJ Walker took a step last year, and I, and I think his, his, his you know if he takes that same step again this year, he's going to be the bona fide star. But Raekwon's now the guy that needs to take that next step, and I know he's improved uh, during his career, but I think there's a big opportunity for him this year. Well, we we used to talk about Gene and I did that he wasn't nearly the man he used to be, and the point we were making is he was a pretty big fellow when he arrived at campus, and he's been very dedicated with his diet and with exercise and has lost some weight. And I think last year we really saw the athleticism that is uh, Turk. He, he can handle the ball in a fast break and finish, even as, as large of a human being as he is. And you saw with Balsha that, you know, he needs to add some weight because Turk can get down there in the box and mix it up. He's got a low center of gravity. Uh, you know, he's got that little larger physique about him, so he doesn't get pushed out of there the way – the way Balsha did last year, hopefully in the coming year, won't. So he can play down inside, but he really surprises people with his ball handling and with his agility. And, of course, we talked about the three-point shooting. He's, he's developed into being a very reliable scorer in that realm. Okay, back to the question we've not asked yet, Keith, and we're 80% of the way done with the show, maybe 90%. Are we going to start football season on time? You know, how about, how about the fact that uh, two months ago, eight shows ago, if you will, we were scratching our head. We didn't have an idea one way or the other. 
Then we go through three or four shows, maybe a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. Hey, we got some timetables. We got some benchmarks. We got some things happening. We all got very, very optimistic. And now over the last couple of weeks, numbers are up. Kids are getting tested. They're testing positive. What do you do with them? I've been all over the map the last couple of weeks, Tommy, to be honest with you. I, I still want to and try to remain optimistic. I still try to subscribe to the theory that, you know, the kids testing positive is not a bad thing given the age group. And if they can be bubbled, quarantined, somehow isolated a little bit, that, you know, it appears that the virus doesn't affect them, obviously, the way it does those that are compromised. And maybe, just maybe, if the theory that, you know, if you get a virus, then you develop the antibodies, and therefore you're immune somewhat to it going forward, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe, maybe we find out that it's a good thing that Clemson had X number of kids tested positive. But we don't know, and that uncertainty is just driving all of us, or at least in my case, driving me crazy. The not knowing is the hardest part, right? I mean, we're all in the same boat as it relates to everything in our lives these days. What's going to happen, though? So we start on time. What happens week two when Florida State has four guys test positive, but they've been around 32 other guys on the team? You just going to skip the trip to Boise? Well, uh, you know, one of the scenarios, and you don't know, but one of the scenarios is that you establish protocols that say that you test on Friday, and if you test positive, you don't travel and you don't play. You still play the game. So the game doesn't get canceled. And I'm not suggesting that's been decided. I'm just saying that's one of the scenarios. But what prompts my thought there, what if your starting quarterback, tailback, and wide receiver are three of the four that test positive? Is it even – I don't mean this the way it sounds, but is it even worth playing the game? Well, that's, And I don't know. I don't know how that will work out. That That's the question I'm asking. So – You'll recall that they changed the redshirt rule in recent years so that a player can play four games and still get a redshirt. I think they might need to have a COVID-19 asterisk in there too and say, hey, we were down 30 guys, so this guy, he was going to redshirt, but we need a body this week if you're going to play games. I mean, that's the only way you can get enough guys to fill out the roster. It's not a perfect answer because some of those guys might have been running fourth team, and now you're having to put them out there. Exactly. I do think by coincidence that changing that red shirt rule, I mean, can you imagine what you would be doing if you didn't even have that leniency going into this 2020 season? So at a minimum, that's going to help whether you need to expand it or not for a one season uh, aberration. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just a, a question that you're balancing what's practical and what, what you need to do to try to make budget I mean, money does drive this versus the utmost need to respect the health and welfare of your players, your coaches, your ancillary people, and to whatever degree in the stands. You know, I've been watching these uh, comments and conversations and videos about folks that were are getting into literal knockdown dragouts in restaurants and bars because someone does or doesn't have a mask on or someone is or isn't keeping six-foot distance. Wow, we go to 25 or 50% capacity. What's going to happen to the crowds if they don't sit and act like they're supposed to? It'll be like you and I are in Hawaii again, watching that fight behind us while we're on the air in the, in the <laughs> Paradise Jam. Um, 
those types of things I think about. Maybe I'm just crazy, but uh, that comes to mind. Yeah, so the only thing we can tell you is we're now to July, and July 1. Now, remember, when this first started, related to whether school would open or not, President Thrasher said, well, plus or minus July 1. Well, the universities obviously had to turn their reports in, their plans to the Board of Governors within the last week or two. But on the athletic front, it's been the same thing. Well, we need to get to July, and that date has pushed back a little. And here's what happened this week, Keith, and this, this, is, this is my glass is half empty. But the SEC postponed its media days, which was set for mid-July. Because in mid-July, if you haven't made a decision, the only questions are going to be, are we going to play? What's it look like? What if somebody tests positive? And it's not going to be about who Anything you on the slot, who's going to be your quarterback. And so the fact that the SEC said, yeah, we're not going to hold it. So, I mean, they bought themselves two more weeks. I don't know how late you can go to say we're going to play opening weekend, though. I mean, we've got a six-week before the season period that starts pretty soon that, that programs can be getting into that. I guess you could start that anyway and then pump the brakes on the season. You could. Uh, and then I think about things, you know, FAMU has already had one of its opponents cancel a ball game. And I think they were based on what I've read, they were successful in replacing it. Uh, Morehouse, uh, which I believe is in the Atlanta area, uh, has said they're not going to play football in the 2020 season. Um, you know, I keep hearing things from the Ivy League, and obviously that's not a Power Five or, or, or other conference, but I keep hearing things from the Ivy League that, that they may not play a season. And you hear stories about so-and-so conference says they may only play conference-only games. These are all things we talked about two weeks – excuse me, two months ago, but we were talking about them as what-ifs, and now we're talking about them as they may make a decision. Um, It's going to get crazy before it gets settled is what I think is going to happen. And I don't – as we wrap up, Keith, there's not going to be a – clear mark in the sand that says we're past this we're not going to wake up one day and not have cases so the question becomes do we get to a point to me where people just accept that this is what it is and we've seen that maybe the cases are not as severe in in younger folks and we just live with it and that's what we're going to do or uh, are we going to go the other way because we're, we're not going to wake up on september 3rd and say look at that or september 5th there's no cases let's play football I hope, and this, now I'm injecting my personal uh, viewpoint, but I hope that the narrative changes from the number of cases to the number of hospitalizations. And the number of deaths. Because I've made up, well, I, I, I won't even go to deaths because that follows cases. If the percentage of people that are being hospitalized for the virus continues to hold steady or go down or wherever it's at and goes down. To me, that becomes a bigger decision factor than who tests positive because you're given more tests and those numbers are greater or whatever your infection rate is. I mean, we lost, we lost a truly tremendous um, assistant coach uh, at the high school level in Leon County this week, 32 years old, graduate of FAMU. His name escapes me right now. I apologize. But he passed away of pneumonia because they were very clear to say it was not COVID-19. So a 32-year-old, reasonably, seemingly healthy individual passed away of pneumonia. Well, we're not shutting down everything for pneumonia because we understand its percentage of fatalities is, is an acceptable amount. 
if or when, and I'm not suggesting we are there or when we will get there, but if that same scenario comes about in terms of hospitalizations that then lead to deaths, I hope we focus more on that and not the number of positive cases. Those are, uh, that, that's the question. I mean, that's what still has to be sorted out. And after that, we'll figure out who'll be the next commissioner of the ACC. We've got a year to chew on that one. So where did you say I need to go? Uh, you need to go to the copy shop or, or you've got 11 months to create a LinkedIn account and populate it and make it appear at least as if you're connected. Uh, I'll get back to you. Folks, we'll be back uh, next week. Actually, will be a best of show. Keith's going to be on vacay. Some would say he always is, but next week it's official. So uh, it'll be a best of show. But we've had some good interviews this year. And uh, Leroy Butler, Myron Roll, Sammy Smith, we'll package all that. And uh, you can tune in next week. And then we'll be back July 15th, I think, in the studio. And The rumor we'll, has it. The maybe, rumor has it. Maybe we'll even have more news about whether there's a football season that will start on time. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in. We don't need no thoughts control.